The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Are you looking for some good, clean positivity? Good, me neither. I'm Maddie Murphy, and I host The Bad Broadcast, a weekly comedy podcast dedicated to talking about everything we love to hate. I searched my whole life to find my passion. Little did I know I had been practicing my true talent every single day, complaining. Join me every Monday wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast to answer our weekly questions and for a chance to be featured on the show. See you there. Ugh, I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to The Allie Colbert Show. Welcome back to The Allie Colbert Show. Welcome back to The Allie Colbert Show and uh, rest in power, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, actually did a show last night. I had some British in the front row and we we're talking about the Queen and how sort of crushing it is. And But they weren't really royalists, as they'd say. They're not really royalists, but they did talk about a Queen over a roast. Anyway, you guys, welcome back to the Ali Colbert Show. I actually do think it's quite sad that the Queen passed, how long she was in power, how long her reign was. I mean, it's quite, it's quite bloody powerful. It's incredible. And... um. I'm quite fascinated by the royal family. I've seen a, f- a season of The Crown. I'm also fascinated by Diana, Princess Diana. Lesbian! Lesbian! Why was she wearing those sweaters? Why didn't she like... Why didn't she make it work? Because she's a lesbian. Okay. I'm just... Uh, so I'm joshing you. Anyway, welcome back to the podcast. Everybody, I'm in New York. I'm in New York. So please, come to a show if you like to see... If you'd like to see me and you're in New York... This episode is going to come out Tuesday, as as they do. And I have two shows Wednesday night, both at the Comedy Cellar. I'm at the Fat Black Bar, and I'm also at the Fat Black later in the night doing a chemistry set on Will Sylvance's show. And that's pretty fun because we'll, like, chat on stage after, and it'll be great. And then Thursday, I also have a bunch of shows. 7 o'clock, I'm at the stand. And then either, like, 8.30 or 9-ish, I'm... That's my phone. I'm at the Fat Black. Um, that's Julian calling me. I'm going to ignore it. So those are the shows that I have um, this week. Come out to a show. If you do, come say hi. The Comedy Cellar lineup, when you go on their website, you can see which show I'm on and then make a reservation that way. It's also on my website at AllieColbert.com. Um, hummus Hour this week, uh, a few things. One is just how deep lesbians are and how dramatic we are i think we have a different way of being you know dramatic uh in the way we tell stories and the way that we fall in love whereas gay men can be sort of flamboyant and fun over brunch lesbians are our drama and our theater is a much quieter darker sad theater we kind of make eye contact for a decade straight and are just miserable and in essence, that is our drama. That is how we're dramatic. We're dramatic like the ocean is dramatic. Just there, threatening to kill you. Could take you under, and, a sw- and it's also you know, equally beautiful. Is this resonating with my queers? 
the Diaper Dykes, the Colbertos. I know it is because you are me and I am you and this podcast is a mirror. I received a lovely note to the podcast from one tiny lesbian to another that I'm going to read out loud. And by the way, this this uh, podcaster, uh, podcaster, this email, emailer said that they left a five-star review. And by the way, the five-star reviews and comments on Apple Podcasts are coming in like crazy. Be a part of that movement. You don't want to not be a part of the commenting and the rating movement if you're a five-star lever, giver. You really want to take part in this. I mean, this is huge. This is like 2008 Obama change shit. Like everyone is coming out to the comment section and commenting. Anyway, this is the note from a listener. I'm engaged and gay in the uh, same spelling that Jules and I did. You spoke about envisioning your future with people you've never you've been with in the past. The front porch, the rocking chair. For a short while, I've been in a relationship that has not fulfilled me very much. Nothing was terribly wrong, but it was essentially my first healthy adult relationship, which I think acted as a red herring, so to speak. It was also her first female relationship, so I think I felt somehow duty-bound to make it a great experience. Been there, done that. I feel exa- I felt exactly the same. So when I imagine myself on the porch of my future home, firstly, it's fucking freezing because I live in the UK, and her coming out of the house, I felt furious. Furious at myself for letting the relationship continue to that point when I knew that we could both do so much better for ourselves. This mindset was only strengthened by your post about Julian in which you described her as warm, warm, warm like the sun. I actually took a screenshot of that story. I think I really miss being in love. Anyway, in summary, I broke up with my girlfriend at that weekend, at the weekend, at the weekend, that must be a British, at the weekend, and Untamed arrived in the post yesterday. I love that. At the weekend and in the post. Don't ever think that you only provide laughs which you undoubtedly do because your life experience is valued by many. Why am I reading this to you guys? To show you how powerful I am. Do you see this? This isn't, this isn't just heaps of laughter. I'm changing lives. This podcast is about a community of lesbians who are looking for love, who've been heartbroken, who've been in the closet, who've come out, who are proud. We're fucking rising up, folks. Phoenixes. From the lesbian ashes, and those ashes are are dry pussies just getting wet and cracking open. The cobwebs coming off because we're coming out. We're coming out and we're being bold. Um, This email really touched me. I know I'm making a joke, but I loved it. I really loved it. Like, I'm so glad that the front porch exercise has been working for people. If you didn't hear that episode, the front porch exercise is a little imaginative game we get to play where we close our eyes and we envision ourselves on the front porch. The front porch being sort of this visionary hypothetical place where you then you're looking out at something, whatever you're seeing, that's sort of the life you're envisioning. And the person you're with, you imagine the person you're currently partnered with coming out of the house and seeing you on the front porch and just noticing your reaction. And that kind of can act as an indicator about where your relationship is at, where how you would feel if it continued or what it would look like if it continued. It's really helpful because it just drops you into a setting and you just notice how your body responds before you even mentally get there. And it and it can be informative as it was for this one listener. And I love the note. And by the way, we had a bunch of the diaper dykes come out to the show last night. We were taking pictures. We were hanging out with each other. Some of them were innies and outies talking about pussies, not belly buttons. We had all the innies and outies here. By the way, isn't that funny? 
that any and outies, you're not just, lesbians know this, belly buttons aren't the only things that are innies and outies. Pussies are actually innies, innies or outies. I used to do a joke on stage, I'd be like, where am I, we got any out, outies in the room? And then, okay, you get it. Anyway, let's, we should start something like that. Maybe we have shirts that say innies, shirts that say outies. We got to get merch. My sister's looking at Jackie's in the background. She, what do you, what do you have to say? You stupid straight bitch. Fucking judging me. Fucking homophobe. Anyway, um, you guys, we got a great episode of the podcast for you today. We're going pretty deep. Like Rod episode was deep. This episode's deep. And then I promise it'll be so superficial. Um, but we have Eileen Kelly on the pod today. She's discussing spending five months without her phone in inpatient treatment and learning to manage mental illness. Okay. It's a really interesting story. Wild experience. Definitely take a listen. You guys email the pod, the Ali Colbert show at gmail.com. Call the pod. Not one of you has called the pod. If you don't want to call the pod, I guess that's what you're doing, but I would like to take a phone call. So just fucking call the pod. I do this podcast for free. 833-722-5546. Enjoy the episode. I love you guys with all my heart. Come out to a show. I won't hug you, but I'll talk to you. All right? If you smell good, I'll hug you. If you're hot, I'll hug you. All right, guys. Take care. Your show was one of my most serious interviews, honestly. It was sort of refreshing. I'm glad. Yeah, it was great. I'm joined by Eileen Kelly. Hi, how are you? Hi. Welcome to Los Angeles. Thank you. And last night as I was researching you and just a little background on Eileen, that Eileen, you're from Seattle. I am. Here, you know what? I'm going to do what you did on your podcast. Why don't you give us a little background? I actually want to hear your spiel on on who you are. I'll do it. Yeah. So I'm from Seattle, Washington, and I've been living in New York for the last nine years. Going to make it to 10 before I leave New York. Mm -hmm. And I started blog when I was in high school, literally when I was 16. Well, I guess I started on Tumblr, if anyone who's listening remembers what that is. Yeah, I remember Tumblr. So I started on Tumblr and basically I would talk about my sex life, dating, kind of give advice. Wait, how old? When I was 16. And you were giving dating advice? Yes. No. I swear in my life. You were giving sex tips at yes. 16. I, I mean, not so much sex tips, more like sexual health, but even just like how to put a tampon in or like people would write into me like Ask Alice. How did you know? I don't know. I, it was like from my personal experience, from my friend's experience, and people loved my advice. It was crazy. And that's what I would do every day. I would run home from school and I would go in my computer, like in my teenage bedroom and like it just spread like wildfire. Like I had a lot of Tumblr followers. And when I moved to New York, I was like, you know what? I could turn this Tumblr thing. I really enjoy it into a full blog and kind of make this my career. Mm-hmm. And I had met some coder, like a friend of mine who went to NYU who knew how to build a website. So he built me a website. And yeah, initially I wrote everything myself. Like I literally, I think my first article was like how to put in a tampon. And then like maybe I did one of on- How do you? <laughs> birth control. And like, this is what happens when you get an IUD put in. And how, But how did you know that at 16? I'm still not sure. Tra- Who taught you how to put in a tampon? I think I taught myself. So I grew up without a mom. Okay. That's a big part of my story. Like my mom passed away when I was really young. Okay. And I feel like because I didn't have- 
like a woman in the house to teach me or talk to me about these things. Slash, I went to Catholic school. Like I really grew up in a super. Oh my God. It's like the last suppressed. person you think would be teaching exactly. people to give, put a tampon in. But because I didn't get any of this information, I was so adamant to find it out on my own. So like I was just always online or asking people and became like a little encyclopedia. And then I was like, I'm going to share this with other people who maybe don't have someone to talk to them about it. Okay. So things that just came to mind. <laughs> so you grew up with your father. Yes. Primarily. Like he was your primary. Single dad. Never got remarried. Okay. And does your dad, when you're 16, find out that this is what you're doing and, and have a thought about it? I don't even think he really knew about the Tumblr. Okay. I do remember one time getting in trouble because I was such a good girl. Like my freshman and sophomore year of high school. I did ballet. Mm-hmm six days a week like I had no social life outside of ballet mm -hmm. and then I quit ballet before my junior year because I was like I want to experience real high school like I never got to go to a football game I didn't get to go to school dances because I was always dancing yeah and I quit and then I kind of went a little crazy meaning like I just was a party girl for sure and like and how old is this 16 16 so 16 I got my first boyfriend like right before my 17th birthday. Uh -huh. And yeah, I just, I became a wild child. And Is this, you, can I ask about losing your virginity? Yeah, it was super like I waited until I had this boyfriend. We dated for two years. And yeah, we had sex in the back of a car after a football game. Oh, okay. So you did it. Yes. You quit ballet and you did the whole thing. Yeah, I did the whole shebang. Wow. And I felt like I really got to experience like the real high school experience that I was missing out on so I don't even think I had that high school experience oh I my god it was like my virginity to a kid up after a football game it was like teen dream movie like prom and kids in Seattle like partied like crazy oh man so many drugs like it was crazy wow we would do Molly like every weekend oh like, my god literally every weekend I'm sure I burn every hole weekend holes in my that's brain. so bad for you I know Wow. Oh my God, I would go to these raves like na literally naked too. Like 16, you're wearing like a little bra and like- This is a Catholic school? I <laughs> I went to a Jesuit high school, but I was mostly friends with public school kids. Like Hell I, yeah, you were. I honestly like, didn't really like the kids at my school. I just felt like I didn't fit in. You're on Molly naked in a field. <laughs> no, not in a field. I like a giant, at giant raves. Like it would be like the convention center. You'd be naked at the convention center on Molly. Yes. What, what does that mean? Naked I, at the convention I mean, center. Have you ever seen what like hours? ravers wear? No, you would go to a concert. So it would be like a rave thing. And right. we would buy so, tickets. Right. And we would go with a group of friends. And I remember I'd always leave the house in like a big hoodie or like a zip up jacket. <laughs> and then underneath, I'm actually in like a naked sequin, like the sluttiest outfit. Um, I would be sick if I were your dad. Like, and you were leaving my house and doing this? Well, honestly, he, he worked so much that he, I spent a lot of like my childhood teen years alone okay and that's a whole thing in itself okay so i didn't have rules to break because right. there were no rules or boundaries siblings? for me i have three siblings but they're all a lot older so they were all out of the house by the time i think i entered middle school yeah this is youngest sibling yes shit so i was really on my own i think my dad had gone through things with my siblings that by the time i came around he was kind of like oh, i'm over it like right. just do your thing yeah and as crazy as i was i was like i've never drank and drove 
I had like certain things that I was responsible about. I feel like I was responsible enough about like how much stuff I took or making sure like knock on wood, nothing bad ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh man, we were wild. But it's crazy because my time like in the 2010s, everyone was wild that I knew. Right. Like, oh my God, doing drugs how all the you? time. I'm 20, just turned 27 last week. Oh, Happy birthday. Thank you. But oh my God, Xanax and yeah, Molly all the time. I wouldn't say like people were doing like Coke and stuff wasn't as accessible, but like everyone would smoke weed. They would go to class high. Wow. And yeah, I hung out with the wild popular kids. It sounds it. What was like a sex tip you might give at 16? Oh my God. I don't know if it was so much like a sex tip. It wasn't like this is how to give a blow job. It was sexual health. It was more like here's how to get birth control. Like I remember I went on birth control before I even lost my virginity. Like why, why? you need to use a condom. I Because I knew I was about to fuck my boyfriend. Wow. And so I was like, I don't really don't want to get pregnant at 16. Yeah. So I went and got birth control. Like I was always on top of my shit with that. Wow. And were you like very eager to have sex? Not particularly. I waited until I felt like it was the right person. And to me, that was really important because I knew and I know I knew myself well enough, even at that age, to know that I would be attached to the person. And so I watched a lot of my girlfriends like fuck some guy at a party and then the guy won't talk to them. Typical high school teenage bullshit. Or adult men, but sure. Yeah. And (laughs) no, no, it's true. And then it would hurt their feelings. And I was like, I'm not going to put myself in that position. Yeah. So I waited until I had my first serious boyfriend and I lost my virginity. And then, yeah, we had sex for two years. So it was fine. I remember when I lost my virginity, I remember there was, I mean, and also some of this is probably because I'm gay, but I remember there was a huge disconnect between what I expected and what I had heard about sex and what my actual experience was like. When you lost your virginity, were you like, was that like, were you satisfied with that experience? Were you No, very I mean, confused? virginity is always the worst. Like it definitely hurt personally. Yeah. And I feel like for the first couple of times, like it wasn't that great. And then it was awesome and amazing. Wow. Yeah. And I had a really great, healthy relationship with my first boyfriend and his mom and I are really close to this day oh really yeah like she and we I don't talk to him anymore but what do you talk to her and I talk all the time every time I'm in Seattle I see her like we she texts me all the time yeah does he not have sisters are you like the daughter she wishes she had exactly yeah and I think she was so like hellbent and she I mean we were so young but she really would if we would get married that would like make her life is he married now does he have a He's not married, no. He texted me on my birthday randomly, actually, like a week ago for the first, like, we don't speak. You're like, I don't know why he's reaching out. I just got breakfast with his mom. (laughs) But, yeah. No, he's not married. Okay, so you go to the new school and you continue this Tumblr. Yes, and you moved to New York at 17, like, literally right after I graduated high school. I was, get me the fuck out of Seattle. Yeah. Went to New York because I was going to go to the new school. Started this website. Initially, I wrote everything myself very early on. Like, I would say a month in, I was like, I'm I'm giving such a limited point of view, such a narrow perspective. Like, it's coming from a young, white, mostly straight at that point woman, and sexual health needs to, you know, reach beyond that. Mm-hmm. So then I started asking friends who I was in school with, hey, would you want to write a piece? Mm-hmm. And it kind of just spread that way through word of mouth. And then at one point, yeah, I had over 100 people writing. That's incredible. Like a full office, full team. Where were, where were your offices? It was in Soho. It was out of a WeWork. Wow. So you're like 
Times have changed. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So yeah, we had this baby office and yeah, we had intern. Like it was a whole ordeal. It was a whole thing. And how long was that office kind of up and running? Maybe two, three years. Wow. Okay. And at that point, mm-hmm. you step away from... It all. You step away from it all. Yes. And I read a piece. Where was it? The, this piece published that you wrote about your five-month treatment. Oh, Marie Claire. Okay, so I read this piece. Okay. So you you step away from this business you started and you check yourself in mm-hmm. to where? McLean Hospital. To McLean Hospital. You're there for five months. Yeah. Tell me, what, what brings you to a point where you're saying, I want to check myself into a treatment center? Essentially, I kind of was having like a mental breakdown. Yeah. And I had stopped working because I just was not mentally well enough to work. So I hadn't been working for like a couple months. And I was dating a guy at the time who had had psychiatric care and illness and had struggled himself. And he told me, he was like, one, I think you're too sick to be in a relationship and we need to break up. He said that to you. Yes. And two, I really think you need help and like I'll help you get the help or find it but it changed my life and he he really like opened up that avenue to me I didn't even know like that was available and what was he seeing that was that was sick um oh my god I was just I he even was like you're not working like I wasn't able to work I was so anxious I wasn't eating I wasn't sleeping I just wasn't functioning I would like start crying all the time I remember like sometimes I would text him and I would like have to go to the bar during the day to like get a drink to calm down and almost like manically anxious mm-hmm. just like shaking just like physically ill and what do you think that anxiety was from or because of or well i was am diagnosed with borderline personality disorder okay. and so i got my diagnosis probably like honestly like a month before i went away okay. and he knew what that was and kind of had an inkling of like you have this thing but he didn't want to say it outright to me because wow this guy's like really i know this guy's great and because it is such a loaded term and there's so much stigma and people can be really offended by it yeah so he didn't want to tell me that but basically i was just in the throes of a really bad untreated bpd and really bad episode and are those the traditional symptoms of bpd yeah i mean i would say like there's what is it, like seven qualifications. One is like being extremely suicidal. Another one is like really impulsive behavior. So it could be like spending money. It could be taking drugs, like having unprotected crazy sex. Trying to think what some of the other ones are off the top of my head. But anyways, it was just this this line of things. And actually a friend of mine had been diagnosed Mm -hmm. and to support her, I was doing research into it. Yeah. And I was like, wait a second. I literally relate to every single thing. Wow. You know, yeah. I've heard more and more about this. so organic too. And I was just like, what the fuck? And I was like, finally, this makes sense. Like I had felt these feelings and like been depressive all my life or struggled with really intense emotions. Like, oh yeah, one of them is like super intense emotions. Another one is intense anger, for example. Right. And it can manifest in different ways and... Also, if you get really stressed out, people with BPD, one of the criteria is that you can become almost like hallucinate 
like you can become so paranoid and that was something I was struggling with not hallucinating but just like severe severe paranoia like I was a really sick non-functioning person but at the same time I I kept it so secretive yeah so like my boyfriend knew and like Maybe my dad knew what was happening, but my friends didn't. Like I kept them in the dark of how bad things. And so when I went away, that was a big thing of people were like, well, you're not sick enough to go away or why are you leaving? What's going on? Right. Like that was a lot of what I heard. Okay, so you you find this treatment center. Well, basically he helped me find this outpatient program at Columbia yeah. in New York. Mm-hmm. And it's for all types of psychiatric illnesses. And it was a, It's called Columbia Day Program. And I would go there every day and it's group therapy. Yeah. And pretty quickly I realized I'm the craziest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Like by far. Because like people were like dealing with like gender identity or like some people in the corner were like just really depressed or like this one girl like would pluck out her eyelashes. Meanwhile, I'm being batshit crazy. (laughs) And I would go home and be like, I... I'm in a room with like essentially quote unquote crazy people and I'm so far past any person in this room's experience that it's making me feel worse about myself. So you really felt that that wasn't just your perception of yourself, that this was true, that you were like, so your case was much more severe. Oh yeah, like I'm, I'm threatening to kill myself all the time to my boyfriend. Like I'm gonna throw myself off the balcony. Like, oh yeah, it got really crazy and wild. Okay. And so I was like, I need a higher level of care. I need someone to also take my phone from me. Yeah. Because I could go to group therapy all day and come home and then be on the phone. And what's that doing? Oh, I'm calling my ex-boyfriend a hundred times. Like, it's like the very typical quintessential BPD. Oh, yeah. My, I had just left like a really kind of abusive, toxic on and off relationship. And he would drive me nuts. Like, one, he also started fucking underage girls, which is crazy because he was 30. Mm -hmm. But he he would just like that it's when instagram had that feature where you could see what people were liking remember that feature oh god that was so terrible for one of my relationships yeah my ex went ballistic yes so i'm your ex yeah i'm the one going ballistic yeah and he's liking like all of these girls but he's still sleeping with me and telling me like i love you but then he's being seen by my friends running into him on a date with another girl and it just you're in an exclusive relationship with him no we had been on and off this was before I dated the one who told me to go away. Right. Okay. So you're dating this guy. He's yeah. up to no good. He's up to no good. He cheated on me a bunch. We broke up. And it just was, I was going crazy over him, to be honest. Yeah. And I was like, I need to get off my phone and work on myself. Because right. I'm going to lose my mind. Okay. Well, I am losing my mind and I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. So I go and I'm like, I need a higher level of care. They gave me some options. The doctor's there. And they were like, you can go to this program at McLean. It's for personality disorders. But mm. I had to go like they don't accept anyone because there's only like 10 slots. So you have to really amp up the crazy to make sure you get yes. submitted. <laughs> I mean, you have to be really You're sick. You're like, I'm not. You have to be sick. Yeah, yeah, really sick. And so I had to do all these intakes and interviews and you have to like any hospital paperwork. Like it's like applying to college. Honestly, oh like that was my experience. Wow. And and I'm in the throes of being really sick and I kind of did it on my own. Is this stressing you out that you might not get in? It wasn't so much that I wouldn't get in. It was stressing me out to just have to do like all the intake stuff when I'm like not well. Right. And they, I got a call saying we have a spot opening up in a week. Mm-hmm. But you have to be ready to kind of leave your life behind in a week for months. 
and I did it. <laughs> and so what does that look like? You pack for months? You What do you, yeah. who drops you off? Yeah, my dad flew in to Boston. We met in Boston because that's where the program is. And we spent a night there and then we went and checked in the next morning. And do you have any idea what to expect? I really had no idea, but I was, I just knew like I had a couple options of different places to go and some of them were shorter. And I just thought, if I have the privilege to go to the best program in the country, if not the world, yeah. for this issue, why not just like go big or go home? It's considered one of the best programs. Oh, yeah. It, it's part of Harvard. Yeah. So it's like all the doctors. It's it's in conjunction with Harvard Medical School. So they have all the new research. And you go and you live in a house with basically 10 women who all have personality disorders or what some are or the, the other yeah. and you're in group therapy all day individual therapy psychiatric so you're can test out different meds you do exposure therapy it's i think i did 10 years of therapy in five months what are the other personality disorders that you could run into narcissistic okay which or, people throw around, by the way, yes. constantly. And I actually had one of the doctors from the program on to dispel a lot of myths because it gets thrown out, thrown around in a way that's actually really inaccurate. Tell me. Everyone says, no, and my ex, like, he was truly a narcissist. Yeah, exactly. But it's, I mean, it's a psychiatric disorder. It's a super painful disorder. It's people who have, like, no sense of self and their whole life is around is built around external validation. Essentially, they feel so bad about themselves that they need other people to pump them up. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not the sociopath right. of like, my ex is a narcissist and like he's just a fucking asshole and he felt nothing. It's actually these people are so sad and feel so lonely and so low that that's why they do this behavior. Right. Okay. So yeah. there's there's narcissism. There's a nuance of like, okay, you start to hear about it from these doctors and the new research and the accurate stuff and you almost have empathy for the people who struggle with right. narcissism because it totally affects your personal relationships. Like one woman was in my program and like her husband was essentially like, I want a divorce and they have kids together if you don't go and get help because it's affecting our marriage to this point. Of course. Yeah, and people with narcissism a lot of the time had such traumatic, fucked up childhoods that that's kind of what was the starting point for developing the disorder. It's a it's a defense mechanism, essentially. If you grew up in a really chaotic or abusive household or you had child sexual abuse, it's a way to not, to kind of close yourself off. So it, it sounds almost like though that that is like a behavioral coping mechanism more than it is like a chemical imbalance. I think it's both. So that's what they say. Like a lot of it can be hereditary and brain chemistry yeah. can make you more prone to developing these these disorders yeah. and then if something happens in your life it can kind of trigger the response so maybe something traumatic if it happened to a different person and they don't have the predisposition they're not going to develop the disorder okay and so you check in and you're with you know people and there's sort of a myriad of personality disorders yes and is everyone starting at the same time no. or are you joining a sorority that's yes. already like welcome you're, you're the new girl on the block yep, you're joining a sorority and is, do you feel welcome? Yes, but everyone's struggling with their own shit and everyone's on different 
I mean, listen, I met the craziest cast of characters and I myself at that point in my life was one and it was the best five months of my life and the worst five months of my life uh-huh. because you can't escape it either. Like every time I would come downstairs, there's, it's like, here we go again. Like you're signing up. It's a, it's a TV show for sure. What is, what is the, here we go though? You go downstairs and what is it? Is it, are people, well, are you cooking for yourselves? Is yeah. There- um, Dinner, we like would order in, but then twice a week you would have to cook, but you cook with a partner that the doctors set you up with. And so it's essentially like you have to share with someone who could be really narcissistic and, you know, like cook dinner with you and not ask you one question about yourself or be kind of rude. And then the next day in group therapy, you have to tell them like, hey, you honestly were kind of a bitch and you didn't even make eye contact with me or you act like you're better than me. Or and the program, I mean, we talked about this on your podcast, but the feedback component. Yes. So that is it. That is essentially it's a Petri dish of people who have a disability with personal relationships. Yeah. And you put them in a house together. Yeah. And in real time. Yeah. Because I could go to a talk therapist for years. Yeah. And I'm only sharing my perception of what's happening. So it could be so skewed that they don't really know how I actually act in those situations. I could be like, my boyfriend and I got in this fight and it's because he did this thing. But in reality, I could have made a facial expression or my tone of voice could have maybe, you know, was the reason he gave me that reaction. Or you're telling yourself a totally different story. Yes. Yeah. So, and human memory works in a really works in an interesting way so it's kind of like we were lab rats yeah and you have these they're called crcs or resident counselors that basically watch you Mm -hmm. 24 7 there's someone in the room and they take notes and then real time you'll go into your therapy appointment and they'll be like hey i heard you got in a fight with so-and-so like tell me about it Mm -hmm. and then they have notes from a third to sort of ground it in some sense of reality yeah and i think you see people who are in the throes of meltdowns or acting really crazy and you're like whoa this is the best medicine i don't want to live my life like that yeah and it kind of mirrors your experience wow this is fascinating i wish there were there was like a mini docuseries on like (laughs) this experience i think it because not only is it like i mean it sounds so like informative also oh it's so informative and just like yeah there were moments where i'm like getting so fucking annoyed with people because they're just being like really dramatic or Do you have the gall way to, in this too setting, emotional like, crazy yeah i mean but you say it to their face yeah. like you learn to communicate or I mean, but I definitely got in fights or you get so past your breaking point because you're around it 24-7. Yeah. But then there's other times where you hear about people's childhoods and you hear about what they've been through and you're like, wow, this makes so much sense why you react this way. And I feel bad for judging you. And what does it feel like when you're when it's been close to five months and you you know you're going to be leaving? Do you feel I've changed? I'm ready? Or you're like, I could stay here for another no, Year. I was so ready. So I actually discharged early. It's a, it's a six-month program, but COVID hit literally like while I was there. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the perks of the program and the parts of the program that made it doable, such as like we would go on outings on Sunday, like we could go to the movies or we would go roller, bl- like a roller rink and like just something once a week to get out of the house and out of this clinical setting got taken away because of COVID regulations and were part of a hospital. So they were really strict. 
And when those things got taken away, I was kind of like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm also right towards the end. I just want to go be with my family. So I discharged a month early. Mm-hmm. And also the last part of the program wasn't happening. So I was like, why would I spend another month here? Yeah. And basically that is that you get a job out in the real world, a part-time job, something simple, like literally you work at the grocery store and you're bagging groceries. And it's so, if you get activated in real time, you can come back and they basically prepare you for real life. Yes, they integrate you before you discharge. And that part of the program got nixed because of COVID. Okay. So it just like was poor timing that this all happened while I was there or else I definitely would have finished. And so while you're there, you can't call your parents and tell them how you're doing. You can't call a friend. So you, certain people have their phones and certain people don't. It really depends on your unique, like everyone's treatment plan is different. So for me, I was very adamant of like, I do not want my phone and I don't want to have access to calling my ex-boyfriend or like seeing what he's up to online. Like I want to focus on myself and be unplugged from, from my life that's been like driving me crazy. Yeah. And that's what I did. So you didn't, you didn't keep in contact with anyone? I wrote letters. You wrote letters? Yeah. And I have like literally like a thousand letters. Wow. And they're like so special to me. I keep them in this big box, like from my best friends, like my ex-boyfriend wrote me this beautiful letter that's like very special to me. And it was just such a nice period in my life to like, I really felt like I connected almost more with my friends while I was away than I had been back at home because you're so caught up in day to day and you're sending like a a one word text and you're so plugged in and stimulated that I felt like it allowed me to okay what have you been up to and like let me write you this beautiful letter of like how the program's going and then they would write me back and I remember one of my best friends got this boyfriend during that time so she's like telling me about it and it was just it was a special period for sure and so your experience you leave it's been five months what is the general feeling sort of reintegrating into your life is it well I didn't reintegrate because I went right into COVID okay so I discharged right into lockdown yeah so I would almost say like that was the positive to COVID for me is you had a space to yeah and I had space where everyone was in lockdown like so much of my anxiety when I was in the program was people are going to forget about me mm-hmm. like my friends are going to forget about me their lives are moving on without me my exes are moving on like I had such a hard time with that and then I discharged and I'm like wait everyone's life is on pause and everyone's career is on pause pretty much yeah so it allowed me some room to feel like I could catch up but overall you felt that this experience was super supportive and it was effective and I mean I changed my life changed your life 100% like fully fully changed my life I still work with my same therapist from the program wow and yeah it's do you keep in touch with the sorority sisters I don't maybe like one or two have like reached out to me and like I've talked to like a few times but no yeah I, I don't yeah do you find that sharing this experience when you're dating is challenging? No, be personally, because I've made a career, like it's so integrated with my career and it's kind of like the first thing if you Google me or like on my Instagram. Yeah. So it just naturally, it's what I talk about. So it comes up so quickly. Mm-hmm. 
I literally just for the first time, maybe a month ago, put out an episode where I talked about my diagnosis. I had never mentioned it publicly before. Sure. And that for me has been more difficult with dating. The diagnosis versus this experience because going what away. The, what is the assumption around the diagnosis? Oh, I mean, borderline has the worst connotation, even with doctors. Look at Pete Davidson. He's killing it. <laughs> but even with therapists. So my therapist that I had seen for four years told me before I went into the program, I had an inkling. I always thought you had BPD. And I, t- I told her, why the fuck wouldn't you tell me? That's insane. You, for four years, I could have gotten treatment so much earlier and and saved myself so many painful experiences and years that feels irresponsible but my therapist at this program at mclean told me so many doctors think getting a borderline diagnosis is like a death a death wish or whatever right that they don't want to give it to you because there's so much stigma even in the mental health community there's just a lot of inaccurate like older research and stuff that is wrong and now you know they realize okay i mean literally even the name is kind of offensive it's it stands for borderline psychotic like right. that is you know that's yeah. what it stands for that's in- and crazy name yeah and so there's just a lot of stigma that it's like they're crazy they're dramatic it's a crazy name yeah. yes that they can't like it's like this is a knd kind of nuts disorder it's mm-hmm. like this is so tacky no it's true so is is borderline personality is bpd considered more maybe even this language is not appropriate but is it considered more severe than bipolar I don't want to say one's more severe than the other what's the M- distinction the most people with any psychiatric disorder commit suicide is bpd Mm. like it's like highest rate double triple other psychiatric disorders wow so it has like really high rates of that which to me makes it feel very serious obviously but the first line of treatment is not medication Mm. so it's through specific type of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy which is this whole program was based on that Mm -hmm. whereas other psychiatric like you know, if you're schizophrenic or if you have bipolar, usually first rate is meds. Right, right. And what would be your... So it's harder to treat, essentially. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, having had this experience and being in this space, what advice do you have for people that want to better understand or better support their mental health? Oh, I mean, I really stress therapy with ev- everyone and anyone, even if you don't feel like you struggle. Like, I just think to be self-aware, to understand yourself, your wants and needs in life. Like, I really don't like to date people who aren't in therapy. Yeah. And I think it's so much more accessible than it's ever been. Like, you could literally even do better help or like some texting therapy, just something. I mean, obviously you want to find a therapist who's like in Snapchat network. therapy. but something no I really really stress therapy that just and you don't have to do it your whole life but I think everyone at some point or another should try it out if you can duh I totally agree but yeah researching accurate information there's so much stigma on a lot of disorders like anything you're gonna find on like reddit or even a lot of articles like are totally false like I would go to the big hospitals for OCD for example I had someone a doctor on my podcast about OCD like the OCD Institute has really good accurate information and just like learning about these things that really affect so many more people than we're aware of and also the fact that none of this is taught in school like drives me bonkers oh my I can't even that's for part two 
Eileen, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's really fascinating and, and interesting, and I think it's eye-opening for a lot of people. So you. thank you. Thanks Eileen's podcast, me. Going Mental, is also on Dear Media. I just was on it. What else do you, is there anything else you want to share with me? Um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Eileen, just my first name, E-I-L-E-E-N. And yeah, I would say that's kind of it. And I have a Snapchat show coming out soon, probably Yay. by the time this episode comes out. Yes. Called In Bed with Eileen. So check that out on Snapchat. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. 